This is a Lip Media Podcast. Deviant women, deviant women, deviant women, deviant women, deviant women. Welcome to Deviant Women 2020 edition, which is still the edition where we tell you all about the ladies you love from history, mythology, literature, and contemporaneity. I'm Alicia. And I'm Lauren. And we haven't officially started our season four as yet. No, this is just tipping our toes into the pond of what will be... Tipping our toes. Tipping our toes. Into what will be, I'm sure... An amazing, rollicking adventure a of, a, of a season. Season four. Season four has brought us some amazing seasons in the past of, of various <laughs> things that we love. One of my favourite season four is definitely not season four of Buffy. That's actually my la my lead. When I think season of season four. Season four of X-Files? Sure. Yeah. Great. Don't, don't really remember what happened in that season. Look, Look I've been re-watching the X-Files a lot this summer. Oh, we've been re-watching Buffy and Angel. We are stuck in the 90s. Yay. Yay. But you know what, actually, speaking about being stuck in the 90s, mm-hmm. that ties into um, the bonus content that we put out there on Patreon mm. for our patrons out there who, who um, listen to us. The and, exclusive friends that we like the most. And we um, just did recently tell our exclusive friends in an episode all about our embarrassing 90s selves. Well, it wasn't exclusively about our embarrassing 90s selves. It's just that that happened to come up a lot. Quite a lot. It was basically like a Q&A session amongst ourselves, wasn't it? It was, A yeah. divulgence of our deepest, darkest secrets. I think we learned a few new things. The revelation of who we are deep inside. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's actually quite sad. It's really, mostly, it? uh, yeah, sad teenage selves. <laughs> so what we're going to do um, as a little teaser before we start our proper season is we're going to give you a little bit of a taste of Patreon mm. content, but not the 90s no, 2020 questions. You would have to subscribe to Patreon yeah. to get that gold content. <laughs> we hope you whet your appetite <laughs> for that one. But the episode we're going to uh, give you today is actually part of a series that we dug ourselves a whole hole in with naming which is called holes in in history so these are smaller episodes where we dive into some bite-sized sort of information about women who we might not have a full story Mm. or biography for or there's some sort of unknown mysterious element in their story that we want to dig up some unanswered question or some various versions of events and so this particular patreon episode is a really interesting one yeah. because it's kind of all of those things. This story is mainly just a hole. <laughs> it's a giant hole. And because I can say that I have just recently returned from Bolivia, uh, the country where this story takes place, uh, perhaps after the ep, I will unpack some of what I've learned since we recorded. I'm so looking forward mm. to that. So we hope that you will oh, definitely stay until the end of this episode so you can hear Lauren's revelations yeah. about the fact and <gasps> fiction of this story of the Valiant Ladies of Potosi. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Deviant Women. Patreon. Come on Holes in history. Sort of. Ish. Yeah. We, it's always a sort of ish hole yeah. in history. Well, actually, this one's interesting because it's not so much a hole as like a 
I don't know, a lie. Well, I, I think that counts. I, say a lie. I think that that's technically still a hole in history because it's like it's like a lie by omission or something. It's still an omission, mm, isn't it? It's an omission mm, of the mm, truth. Mm. Yeah. I'm not really sure how this story, what's happened with this story mm. and how this story has gotten so out of hand as it has. But <laughs> uh, this month we are going to be talking about some ladies that you may have heard of yeah, before. Yeah, well, I actually had heard of them and I have them on my list for a normal episode mm. not knowing this little secret that you discovered in your research. <laughs> yes, so they're often known as the Valiant Ladies of Potosi. Yes. So, And I'm going to be in Potosi very soon. Yeah. So I'm going to do some investigating of my own. So that's the thing. Maybe this would have been a good one to leave until after you came back Maybe. from Potosi. We could do a follow-up. But, yeah, that might be a good idea if you uh, do a little bit of digging while mm. you're there. Because this was a duo that actually has been suggested to us before as well. Yes, it is also a request. So they've come up a few times and they're an interesting one because I started looking into them for a normal episode and, you know, I found a few other podcasts out there mm. about them. Mm-hmm. Found, you There's know. There's lots of blogs and websites blogs. and stuff. Yep. Yep, they appear here and there and in, in, they're even in a couple of encyclopedias. Yeah. And um, a few of those sort of like badass women book collections but the reason why I'm doing them as a holes in history is because you know the more I dug into this story the more I realized they never existed well (laughs) that's a pretty big well it's a big claim it is a big claim but there is not a hell of a lot of historical evidence to suggest that they did exist well it's interesting because when you told me that you were going to be doing this episode I was firstly just like oh cool yeah because I was thinking of doing them too so that's great I'm really into this. And then I started to look at some of those sites that I had originally looked at. And when you mentioned that you were like starting to cotton onto like this question of whether or not they were real, I did notice that all of these websites have the exact same information. And normally when we're doing research, you can find different accounts with varying levels of information. Mm. I can always Mm -hmm. usually find scholarly articles that will go much deeper. Then you've got your sort of shorter BuzzFeedy style, you know, pop, whatever it is style writing but in this case it seems to be just that yeah it's short, all the buzzfeedy stuff yeah, yeah yeah and all of the different blogs and references you'll find to them they use the same bibliography as yeah. well they all have the same sources and so this of course led me to since you know research is something that we do that's that's you know a sort of rigor with our research is important <laughs> and of course you know sometimes we get things wrong as mm-hmm. well but of course it led me to want to question you know these key primary sources mm. and see what else I could find out about them so the more I dug into the primary source um, which is actually really just one book yeah called the tales of Potosi the more I uncovered <laughs> some questions that you know has basically made me think that these ladies are perhaps more legend than they are history. Well, let's maybe dive into the legend. Let's mm-hmm. tell their story and you can unpick as we go where legend and history have collapsed yes. into one another. It seems to me that it just happened in the, in the blink of an eye. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, but what we're going to be doing is we're going to, we keep mentioning Potosi yeah. at this place, which um, we're going to be going to in the 1650s. Yes. Right. And that is in so, Bolivia, is it not? It is in present day Bolivia. Yes. But at the time that we're looking at, Potosi was part of the Viceroy of Peru. Mm-hmm. So um, up until Bolivia had its independence in the 1800s, yep. I think it was still sort of part and parcel 
example of this viceroy of, mm. of Peru. So um, Potosi itself is high up in the Andes mm-hmm. where Lauren is right now. Yes. Yep. Spiritually right spiritually. now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Literally when this episode comes out, I will be in there. Yep. You will be there. <laughs> yeah. So it's high up in the Andes, as we say, in what's now Bolivia. But it's one of the highest cities in the world yeah. as well. And they have a lot of silver mines, is that right? They do. And that plays very much into their mm. history as well. So I just want to say that it's one of the highest cities in the world at 4,090 metres, which is higher. So you might think of... Is that, high, is that higher than Cusco? It's higher than La Paz. La Paz, really? Yes, which is the highest capital city in the right. world. And, and that's the capital city of Bolivia. Yes. So that's, the, that's even higher than mm-hmm. La Paz, so it's mm-hmm. it's pretty up there. Yeah, you the might want to thin. You might want to take a jacket. I'm gonna choose some cocoa leaves too. Yes, yes, which is an interesting one because that also kind of plays mm. into this story a little bit too. And so, why are we headed there? Yes, well, we are headed there because of the silver mines, and we're headed there. Well, actually, we're headed there because of the story of the valiant ladies of Potosi, otherwise known as Doña Ana and Doña Estequia. Mm-hmm. So, they've been remembered as. Peruvian lesbian vigilantes. Yeah, they're remembered in the same way as somebody like Julie Daubeny or Catalina de Arauso, right? Yeah, These definitely. swashbuckling, cross-dressing, yeah. bisexual slash lesbian yeah. swordswomen. But this is something that you also have to investigate where you are right now. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that is going to be confusing if you keep <laughs> playing that game. But that's something else that I, I would like you to investigate is actually are they really remembered? Yeah. Because yeah, who are do they the being people re- in yeah. Potosi think of these women in this way? Do they even know who they are? Yeah. Or is this a myth that has been perpetuated in a very different yes. way and for very different reasons that I think are huge? Yeah, hugely interesting, and that we will unpick will, as will, we go along. I will put this on our Instagram stories you, yes, as I you investigate. Had, you so had better follow our Instagram yep. if you want to see me investigate Potosi. And if they turn out to be real, well then, hey, great, great, excellent. <laughs> so these ladies, yes, this is how they've they've come to be remembered. But there's very little, as I've said, to go on with with them. And the main source that's referred to is this book called The Tales of Potosi by a guy called Bartolome Arzans. I should say that with much more accent. With some gusto. Yeah, but I'm not. Sorry about that. And he was trying to chronicle the history of Potosi since it was, you know, violently taken over by the Spanish, of course, in the the middle of the 1500s. And he starts with the history from 1545 and goes on and on and on and on through till 1735 because he died in 1736. Okay. He's quite a chronicle then. Yes, exactly. So he's obsessed with chronicling these tales of the town and his son went on to chronicle it keep going after his death and eventually there was you know like three volumes of Mm -hmm. this thing and we say it's a history and a chronicle but we're going to use that word kind of loosely okay so he references a bunch of texts by other authors such as Acosta and Duenas, Mendes and Pasquier and he has this bibliography that he sort of refers to constantly and relies on heavily in this story as these previous texts that are helping him to paint his own story but the problem is is that at least four of those sources Probably never existed. Really? So he's just invented his sources. He's so made up a bibliography. Pretty much. That's some fraudulent academic integrity so activity there. Pretty much is. So look, hey, they mm, may have existed. That assignment. If they did exist, then they don't exist anymore. They don't exist we have anymore. No record of them. They've, we've got no record. Mm. Of whatever they did, write wherever they did live, it's lost. It's yep. lost to time. So maybe they did. Yeah. But history is not so much on his side with this one. Okay. And. 
it's an interesting one. So I still haven't told you the whole story. No, but, yeah, tell us about do, the ladies. I do feel like what it's just – What is their story? I feel it's interesting to kind of just yeah. set it up with this in mind, okay. which of course we'll come back to because I think that this is one of the interesting things about the story as well with the context of the time that he was writing in. Yeah. So Potosi itself, as you mentioned, uh, at the centre of Potosi there's the Cerro Rico, which is the rich mountain. Ooh. Silver mine. Nice name. So Potosi was in the, in the 1500s – it was Boontown. Yeah. It was big. It was – pumping out from this particular mountain which is still a mine today yeah pumping out silver which of which there's none left now but also tin zinc uh and lead i think right as well. well surprising there's anything left if they've been pumping this stuff out for 500 years yeah i think mainly there's tin still being mined okay. today it was originally inhabited by the indigenous quechua people of the mm-hmm. region um who of course went on to be violently used as miners of course. to mine yeah. the mountain. Fun colonialism. Ah, oh, so much yeah. fun. And, of course, millions and millions of them died. died. Probably really awful, horrific deaths yeah. and poverty. So this happiness in our voices <laughs> Terribly, it's terribly just, sarcastic. You get like very exhausted by these stories of colonialism, oh, don't you? Do you ever? Mm. Because it just repeats itself. It's on repeat. Over and over, over again. Over and over and over again. And of course, there were also miners who came to seek their fortune as well. Yeah. So there were people who did voluntarily go into the mine as yeah, well. Yeah, but I'm, I'm assuming that the difference is the Spanish colonists are the one who own the mines yes. and they're in, it's a quote unquote maybe employing maybe there's some sort of indentured servitude going on. I think, impl- I think employing on. is a is a very loose term. Maybe there's some yes some indentured servitude of some sort going on. So the Quechua people are not the ones who are going to be reaping the benefits of that mining. Whereas oh, no. when you've got those miners coming to seek their fortunes, they tend to be independent yeah. prospectors yeah. and they get to keep they what keep, they. Yeah what they find yeah exactly and so those that would keep what they found for themselves would then of course go into the city of Potosi Mm. and live it up Mm. they would spend their money on drink and women and all the good kind of wild Mm. wild west fun times that you could imagine and this is where we find this is where we set our scene okay so Potosi was all bawdy yeah bawdy bars absolutely and it was arguably sort of the most one of the most important urban centers in the western hemisphere Whoa, during this period because right. of the amount of money that was coming out of it the amount of wealth that was coming out of this center so you can imagine you know it's packed streets it's mm. you know it's the kind of place where if you're out on the streets at night it's dangerous yes. you know and and you can kind of, yeah so kind of picture it if you will in a very Filmic yeah, kind yeah. of way. Like parts of the Caribbean or something. Yeah, I know that's your go-to. So yeah, <laughs> so we'll go with that. So into all of this was, of course, so we, we have the colonial influence. And living here at the time was a Portuguese captain and his wife. And they had two children, a girl and a boy. Now, the young girl, Estaquia, was Lauren. One of the lad, valiant ladies of Potosi. She was, but she was also... Uh, beautiful. Yes. She was beautiful. Yes. I just knew if we left it long enough, you'd figure it out. <laughs> Yawn. She was beautiful. <laughs> but she's also described by Arzans as singularly beautiful. Ooh. Mm, that's an interesting quite one. Quite a specimen, it is, I imagine, yeah. of her time. Absolutely. So nearby to her lived an Andalusian man named Don Pedro, and he was from Spain, because oh, that's where Andalusia is, obviously. Okay. So that's why he's from Spain. And, <laughs> he, and his wife as well. And they had only one child. Oh. And this was a daughter named Anna, who was... <gasps> singularly beautiful. Actually, she's described as 
unusually beautiful. Oh, so we've got a singularly beautiful young woman and an unusually beautiful young woman. But what matters is they're beautiful. That's right. right. That's the most defining feature of their personalities. Yeah. I'm sure. Of, of, it's actually not about their personalities is it, at all. <laughs> no. But I like Who the cares way it's about that. Yeah, I like the way he tries to distinguish them from each yes. other. You know. Well, yeah. One's singularly beautiful. And one's the unusually. Usually beautiful. Would you prefer to be singularly beautiful or unusually beautiful? Well, I don't know. Unusually beautiful. What does that suggest? I don't know. It does. It's, that there's it, some kind of imperfection. That's right. But it's an imperfection that perhaps improves the overall quality of the whole face. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I might go for singularly beautiful. Yeah. I, I don't feel know like what that's that more means. Striking. So. Yeah. Is that what you're going to go for as well? I think so. Great. Excellent. <laughs> so sadly. Both Anna's mother and father died when she was only a little girl. Really? Yes. Mm. And she was adopted into the family of Estakia, according oh. to Arzans. But according to a bunch of other accounts that you'll find on the internet that have sprung from <laughs> I don't have a fucking clue where, <laughs> um, she was an urchin child who lived on the street. Who oh, simply, well, that's a better origin story, isn't it? Yeah, who simply befriended Estakia. I loved the stories of urchin children who lived on the street when I was a kid. I was all about Same. it. Do you remember that there was a like a cartoon about like yes, two it was, uh, urchin oh, children? Oh, I want to say Orson and Olivia. Yes! Is that what it was? like that. And they had a dog yes. and his name was Falstaff. Wow, you remember I, that very I well. <laughs> I just remember the these amazing two plucky orphans. <laughs> I remember it very well, actually, because yeah. I really liked that show as Me well. Me too. Yeah. Oh, good. Anyway, Excellent. plucky orphans, yay. I'm pretty sure that's what it was Street called. Street urchins. That's definitely what the dog was called. Yeah. Anyway... So that's the story that for some reason exists out there in, yeah. in the world, even though it is not part of Arzan's story. Yeah, right. It's just kind of grown up on its own somehow. It's a legend. Someone's put like that out there thing. in the world. Yeah. But I don't know who. However it happened, she came to live with Estakia's family. So Estakia's brother was, of course, learning all the things that a man needs to learn, mm. you know, fighting, sword fighting and shooting guns and all that sort of seducing shit. Seducing women. Seducing women, all that important shit. But sadly, we're well, probably not seducing women too much because sadly at the age of 15, he passed away. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So probably didn't get a lot of seducing. This in. has so many parallels with how our Anne, Bonnie and Mary Reed story begins, doesn't it? It does. Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. So according to what I can make of Arzan's account, he died because he did some sword fighting and then after he did some sword fighting, he drank some water and somehow that <laughs> equaled death. <laughs> okay. Good. Don't drink after sword fighting. Well, maybe he just got an epic stitch that killed him. <laughs> maybe. And he had too much to drink. I don't know. So Estakia and Anna were apparently both 13 at this time, so a couple of years younger, and they'd taken a lot of interest in the firearms mm. and the sword fighting and everything that had been going on. As you do, it's badass. And so they wanted to continue on doing what Estakia's brother had been doing um, and so they wanted to follow in his footsteps. So again, somehow some stories have come up to say that the father decided he was going to keep the sword fighting tutor on to teach uh -huh. the girls. That's not in Arzan's story. Okay. That's in no one's story Maybe it's anywhere. one of these lost tomes. Well, I don't know where this tome is <laughs> and who's quoting from it. So they've led quite a sheltered life up until this point because, as we mentioned, Potosi's a, it's a, it's a scary town. You don't want to be – I mean, Potosi's a real town. Okay? Yeah. That really existed. That bit's not a yeah, lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, they've, you know, they've been – 
insular in their world, but they'd heard tell, you know, even as these young girls of what was going on out there in the Mm -hmm. world around them. And they'd heard tell of a lot of this through one of their most trusted household servants Mm -hmm. because, of course, the servants can move out. Yeah, they're they're in between worlds. That's right. They can do it everywhere. And so they're hearing these stories back and they wanted to know what it was like for themselves, right? They wanted to go out. So they're going to go out on an adventure to find out. Oh, yes. This is quite a caper. Like, this would make a really good film. Well, the thing about Arzans is he had read a lot of Cervantes. Oh. So I think there's a bit of the Don Quixote Mm. that is Mm. uh, finding its way into this picaresque kind Mm. of story. So with the help of their servant woman, they dressed as men. Yes. Armed themselves from the house's store of weapons. Of course. And snuck out into the night. Excellent. 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 This is what we like. This is the stories we like to hear. Now, first of all, on the street, they encountered a young man named Diego. Oh. Who was quite taken with them and agreed to, you know, escort them. They, they said that they were new in town. Oh, okay. They'd never been there. So and he's taken by them as these two dapper young gentlemen yes. who he's going to introduce yes. to his town. They're yep. finally dressed and, yep. he, you know, he thinks there's, there's something quite... Quite unusual. Quite un- or singular. Singular about them. <laughs> That's right. And uh, they say, yes, we're new in town. Would you mind, you know, showing us Mm. around? And he says, oh, certainly, certainly. And so he takes them around down the streets. And after a while, they decide they're going to reveal their true identities to him. And uh, he likes them even more after that. Of course. Of course. But on their adventures, they encountered a band of no-gooders. Oh, no. No No-gooders? Dastardly no-gooders. Dastardly no-gooders. Not on the... Who challenged them yeah. to a duel. Of course. Of course. This story is never going to go any other way. No. So Estekia, they get in a fight and Estekia draws her pistol. Yeah. She shoots. She shoots. Does she kill him? Kills one of them. Of course. Drops dead. Damn. And they flee. They're not on horses, so I don't know why I'm making the horse. Maybe they are. Running on the cobblestones. Their heels are clacking. So they they flee. They flee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the girls... Return home. They take off their men's clothing. Like, oh, fuck. And they, yeah, like, what, what have we done? done? What have we done? But they are never found out. They because get away with it. they're such an amazing disguise. That's right, and nobody knows who they are. So a few nights later, they're like, "Let's do it again." Yeah, it's back on the streets. So this time, back on the streets, and for some reason, they decide to play a guitar and. <laughs> They're singing. Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know why this is well, part maybe of the story. This doesn't get into the other stories that, you know, come out of this because right. it's silly, I suppose. <laughs> but no, actually, it was quite common, you know, to – it was actually quite common to sing in the streets and take your guitar with you and, like, that's not actually terribly unusual. Yeah. But, of course, they were attracting a lot of attention because their singing was so sweet and melodious. Of course, and because they're so singular and unique and, and unusual. So, well, those men have such sweet, <laughs> sweet feminine voices. So uh, as Arzans tell us, they decided to desist. Great story, Arzans. Great story. <laughs> so that was it. That's the whole That's story. I thought that they were going to get confronted Man. or something. Well, yes, because then they sit in a doorway oh. to play their guitar. Oh, yeah. And a bunch of guys come out and say, hey, you, you can't sit in this doorway. Yeah. Because inside this house. Is my backpack in hostel. <laughs> and please get your guitar out of the way. No. I'm so fucking sick yeah, of you I guys. Yeah, I know. Actually, fuck me. Yes. Sorry. Oh, please go on. Terrible. That is, that is the worst. <laughs> um, no, they're like inside this house is a young woman of purity. Oh, and you you're going to seduce her. You sitting here in the doorway. Yeah, all excited. Looks like you are here to compromise her chastity. Yeah. So you need to move it. And they're yeah. like, we're just sitting here playing our guitar. Mm. And they're like, ow, bucko. ow, get out. So they're like, nah, fuck you. 
draw their swords. Yeah, plunge yep. them through them. And fight. They rally. They yes. Fight, 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 fight. And <laughs> Anna is wounded in the shoulder. Oh, no. <gasps> Falls to the floor. She's pierced in the chest. And Estekia fights on to defend her and rallies and says, come, Anna, stand Anna. up. And Anna drags oh, no, herself Anna. up off the ground with her wound. But she can't fight if she's going to she stab does. through the... What? She carries on. <gasps> and together they continue to fight. And even though she's terribly wounded, they end up killing two of the men. Wow. And then they flee. <laughs> Get <laughs> they the fuck out. The Both wounded. <sighs> they return home again. Now, of course, they return home wounded and the servant woman has to lie to their father, well, to Estekia's father. And the mother died, by the way. Yeah, okay. Ago, so Estekia's father's the only one left. Has to lie to him and tell them that they're, they're ill, they've fallen ill, mm. right? And he wants to send for the doctor. But they're like, no, 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 and so he's like, oh, all right. So under the cover of darkness, they have to sneak out to see a civilian woman mm-hmm. who tends their wounds in Good. secret. Good. And then I they bet return. She can be trusted. And they're bedridden for two months. Two months. Two months. Maybe yeah. I got an infection. Yeah. Well, when they're finally better, they decide they're going to go out again. <laughs> yeah, well, they they've got a taste for it now, Alicia. But this time, Estekia's father catches them as oh. they're sneaking out in their men's clothing. Ooh. And according to Arzans, he beats them terribly <gasps> and locks them in their room. Oh, dear. So they decide they're going to escape. Guess out how the they window. escaped? Did they tie up their bedsheets and they, throw them out the window? They fucking tied their bedsheets <laughs> together and climbed out the window. Is this with a bit where you're starting to think to yourself, is this story real? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Honestly. But, hey, look, you never know. You never know when you're going to need to tie your bed sheets together to go out of a window. Well, they do, and they shimmy out the window, and they flee to their old mates. Do you remember that guy they met in the street? Yeah. Diego. They flee to Diego, and Diego's like, yeah, I'll help you, no worries. So through some other ruse, they get some horses, and they're all dressed <laughs> as men, and then they set off. It's the servant as well has come with oh, them. Oh, She's good. also just I'm as mad because I feel like she would have got in trouble if had she been left Def- behind. Definitely. So they travel off to uh, La Plata and then to Lima, uh, still dressed as men, and they're yeah. traveling around. And of course, they had the foresight before they shimmied out the window to steal some of Estekia's father's silver and jewels. Yes. So they're also quite wealthy. They've mm-hmm. got all of that in their pockets. And they part from their servant. She goes off to live her life and the two of them begin travelling around and they travel <laughs> having around adventures. having adventures madcap adventures sword fighting swashbuckling and becoming renowned young men and they make mm. themselves comfortable with all their money and they make friends and they go in bullfights really which you know it's terrible we're not okay with I'm but not okay it was with a that. different time and so they're living it up as yeah. these young men now yeah. Here's an interesting thing because remember how in the story I mentioned that they're the Peruvian lesbian vigilantes? Yeah, I was actually right. just going to ask about when and also the vigilante part because I feel like so far they've just been having adventures. Yeah. They haven't actually been doing any vigilanting or no. nor do they seem to be particularly into each other. No, so there's no vigilantiness in this mm-hmm. original primary source mm-hmm. and there's also no lesbianism in this original primary source. It's unlikely source. that there would be any lesbianism in the primary source though, isn't it? True. But this, but is, it's usually coded. But this is an interesting thing as well because this, I think, is also part and parcel of Arzan's whole sort of game. The whole mm-hmm. thing he's playing out here is he's he actually goes to quite an extent to assure us, as he does to assure us that he's like all of his sources are legit. He yeah. goes to quite a bit of an extent to 
remind us that, you know, they're totally legit it's sources. Fine. Yeah. He also goes to a lot of effort to let us know that they maintain their chastity oh. the entire time. Well, but the thing is, if they had it, like it, the context of the time means that if they had been out slutting about nobody would have wanted to read their story like they it would have been unacceptable like they have to keep that purity in order to be able to get away with their madcap adventures yes because not being pure is is a step way too far you know at the moment it's just like fun like oh my god lol these two women dressed as men and they went out and had all these adventures what a what a thrilling story but as soon as you make them just a little bit slutty then suddenly it's like oh no that's not acceptable we won't have that well i think this is part of his whole pretty much the whole project of what he's doing here is very much coded morality yeah all of these stories are about morality Mm -hmm. and they are about chastity and virtue and good and evil because a lot of the other stories in his collection very much tap into this as well okay there are other women who are also sort of you know, either tale, it's either a tale of virtue or it's a tale of vice. Yeah. And there right. is either a punishment to be had for that or mm-hmm. there is a salvation. So it's yeah. very, and of course, I mean, he's writing in the 1700s. He's intensely religious. Yeah. Of course, this is going to be part and parcel of the yeah. story that he's telling. But the interesting thing is that this has then at some point been picked up as a story of lesbianism. Well, we we touched on this in our Anne, Bonnie and Mary Reed episode it's as well, didn't we? Thing. Because it's this whole thing of it's it's a really difficult sort of duality because on the one hand, stories of, you know, same-sex relationships are so rare historically that when we find them, of course, we want to celebrate them and talk about them because it's not like queer people didn't exist in the past. Whereas the other flip side to that, though, is the sexing up of history. It's mm. that in order to tell mm-hmm. women's stories, you need to add that stuff about them being singularly beautiful and about, you know, probably being busty. And I'm sure that if there were a video game made about them, they would wear not very much clothing and their boobs would be up all the time. Oh, and, yeah. You know, they yeah. would walk around with their hips swaying. Like yeah. it's that whole way of like making women's stories palatable to men by sexing them up. So it's a really difficult sort of double-edged sword there. It is. And I think it's an interesting one in this particular case because I think with Anne, Bonnie and Mary Reed, who were historically recorded real live people who did exist, I think it's an interesting one to unpack that in a very different way to a story that really here comes from one person Mm. and there is nothing in his story nothing in his story nothing in his story to suggest so it's when other people have picked up his story and they've read into it or they've elaborated on it and they've embellished and they've it's embellishment i feel like it's pure embellishment and i feel like it the reason is precisely because of that idea of Mm. sexing this story up Mm. wanting to make it that kind of how can we make it more outrageous? Yeah. How can we make it more fantastical? Yeah. Well, they're not only vigilantes, which they haven't again, done any vigilantes. The story doesn't make them vigilantes, <laughs> but they're also lesbian yeah. vigilantes. And yeah. wow, how sexy and amazing is that? Yeah. And it's something I find really frustrating because, as you touched on before, there are genuine historical people in mm-hmm. in the history books who actually did live these lives. Yeah. And 
there's something about this kind of clambering to find these mm. stories and even if it's just that kind of hint of a story and then exploded out yeah. from there. Well, I think it would be really interesting to figure out, and this is not something that I know enough about, but I would be really interested to speak to somebody who's an expert on how do you find these traces? How do you find the genuine traces of queer mm. relationships in historical texts? And how do you differentiate those from the embellished, like sexed up versions of history? Mm. You know, where do we find the actual records of people who genuinely were in uh, loving relationships or who uh, had to hide and code their identity, you know, which I guess they more often than not was what they did. Mm. But these stories do exist. Yeah. We do have them and they are documented. And I think there's, you know, definitely periods in history, especially with somebody like Julie Daubeny, uh, where the way that she lived her life, her sexuality wasn't actually the most outrageous thing about her. No. And it actually wasn't really what people cared about. No. I mean, they cared about it in a scandalous sort of yeah. way. But we again, it comes back to this idea of society as we think that we're very advanced now. Yeah, and I know? think that and the we, other thing is we often try to apply a sort of Victorian puritanism mm. to all of history. Yeah. Where actually that Victorian puritanism, A, is far more on the surface than real life but b doesn't apply actually really beyond like before the yeah. 1800s in a lot of different contexts that the people were far more sexually liberal before yeah. the victorian age and it's not actually erased from history in a lot of yeah. like not in all areas of mm. history obviously mm. but in a lot of history it is actually there on the yeah. surface for us to find yeah so this is why i sort of suspect that this is actually something that has been retrospectively yeah. applied to this story yeah and it's an interesting one because i mean Basically, the, the theory is that they go on to sort of, you know, live their lives and get in some bullfights and get in some other fights. <laughs> and, and then they hear that Esther Kia's father has passed away mm. and he's, he's left the estate to her. Wow, on the he still did that? Yeah, but on the proviso that she, she... hasn't married anyone. Oh, I was going to say on the proviso that she settles down and gets married. No, the proviso <gasps> she is not married. Wow, that's really unusual. So they return to the estate and they also are reunited with their servant oh, from all those years yay. ago. Well, and that's a that's a really suspiciously happy ending. Isn't it is. It? it is. And now they're in their twenties. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, now should. they're just in their early twenties. <laughs> so they return to the estate. I was thinking they must be like forty something. <laughs> no, they've only been like they've only they've been, been swashbuckling, swashbuckling for, for a couple of years, mm. basically. And they return to the estate. And at this point. Azans tell us that they had planned to go into the nunnery. Okay. But Seems legit. doesn't happen because, sadly, Anna is still ill from a bullfight oh. wound. Sorry, no sympathy there. Well, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Sad that she has a wound. Yeah, but, but she shouldn't have been fighting bulls. She shouldn't have been fighting mm. bulls. So they're unable to, to follow this dream of mm. joining the nunnery. And so she's basically deathly ill from this wound, this lingering illness she's had ever since. Oh, actually, it's ever since she fell off a horse. Okay. That's right. While bullfighting. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because they say you've got to take back your... No, your, no, 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 no. Still, still bullfighting. Still mad at her. Yeah, still mad at her. So apparently at this time, Arzans also tells us, is that a friend of a friend of a friend of Arzans's cousin's uncle's mother's brother's dog yeah um knew them <laughs> yeah of course of they course. did yeah and 
convinced the two women that he would like, well, wanted to paint the two women in their men's clothing mm. and so convinced them to dress up again in their men's clothing because they'd come back to the estate yeah. in their, just in their women's clothing to, yeah. you know, now live out their lives there together. So they dress up in their women's clothing and he paints this portrait of them and Arzan's, you know, he assures us that he's seen this portrait and that indeed they are very beautiful in mm. this portrait and that, you know. So, but I'm assuming that there's no trace of this portrait. Butkus. But you never know. Butkus. Where in somebody's... did I get Butkus from? <laughs> it could be hiding in somebody's attic somewhere. That is true. And like, if... that happens surprisingly often. I love the way that you refuse to let this be not true. I really want it to be true. This is the thing. And I like, I know, I know everything you're saying. I accept everything you're saying, but it's probably <laughs> not. But there's a little part of me that really wants it to be true. And that's okay. I'm allowed to live with that. Oh, yeah. Look, if it was we true. We can't say that it's not true. No. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Well, no, sure we can't. And I mean, if I'm proven wrong, then that's great. But I mean, the, you know, basically the story is that within a few years of their return, Anna succumbs to this mm. illness um, and dies. And then with only uh, within only a few months after that, Esther Kia also dies. Um, wow. From so, a, did she, oh, okay. From it's, a broken heart? I was, yeah. No, he says from a chest infection. But Which we'll is a broken, broken heart. heart. Yeah. Um, and they <gasps> left everything to the servant. Oh, that's a fucking fantastic ending to that story. Except for a few thousand pesos that they left to that old mate Diego from to the Diego. street. Well, Diego earned that. He really stepped up. He was a good friend yeah. to them. But Arzans also is... He really wants to remind us at the end here that they died. <laughs> they died virgins. Virgins, Lauren. Well, it depends virgins. on how you define virgin, doesn't it? Because if you define virgin according to the 16th century, well, or 18th century in Arzan's case, Catholic definition of virginity, and they never had penetrative sex, then in a sense they probably did die virgins. Yeah. But if they were, you know, lovers, well, that's well, a different story. Hey, hey. I, but it's an interesting one because I think that, and I will be really interested to see if you if you do find anything out about them in Potosi because I think the interesting thing about it is that these women, uh, yeah, they're fascinating and they're wonderful and, you know, this it's a great story by all means and it would make a terrific movie and yeah, I'd love to yeah. see it as a movie. Is it a movie? And, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I didn't come across it when I was looking it up. No. I'm sure there's plenty of similar-ish stories that have been made into a yeah. film. Um, there is a film called Viva Maria, which I really, really like, has Bridget Butt doing oh, okay. it. But that's not it's the, a different but story. But it's a different story altogether. Yeah. But that's a, a pair of vigilante women basically. Yeah. But I think that it's kind of this – the history of this town is one that is so incredibly steeped in colonial greed yeah. and the blood yeah. of – the indigenous people and somehow this story of these two colonial women mm. is the story that gets perpetuated. That's, that's come down to us. That come, that's come yeah. down to us. And not the story of the... Not, and not the reality of the situation yeah. and not the reality of like what life... I mean, again, if they're real, then I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but... I guess just I feel like in a lot of ways this is a, a bit of a whitewashed yeah. story. Well, it is a way of creating a new colonial myth yeah. on this land. Yeah, isn't it? precisely. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's why I find it really interesting that it does crop up again and again mm. in contemporary internet sources basically yeah. and it's, is perpetuated in this way where it's as far as I can tell one man's very picaresque, yeah. picaresque story. And, 
I mean, Potosi itself is is still, even now, as I'm sure you are seeing <laughs> currently from <laughs> Check Instagram, yeah, is still a place that is incredibly damaged and reeling mm. from that colonial history. Yeah, those yeah. mines still kill people yep. even now yep. people die in those mines all the time yeah. from if not from you know what actually happens in the mine then from the all the sorts of diseases yeah, that you get so from, many implications of that exactly life. yeah and i feel like it yeah in a lot of ways i feel like the current real the reality of this place mm. is one that kind of gets brushed, brushed over, under totally. brushed over yep. by stories like this yep. and so that's why i think it's a it's a really interesting one to you know, why is this the story that we want the story that we yeah. that we're searching and for and maybe we need to search out for some other stories, some of the Indigenous stories from this, right. from this place and maybe that's something we can hunt for and bring to the podcast in the future. Well, Arzans does have a few other stories to tell but I'm still not sure of the validity of yeah. any of the <laughs> I do remember though, Alicia, that our Deviant Women subtitle is Women from History, Mythology, Literature and contemporaneity. Well, I mean, this is exactly why their story is still worth telling because yeah. it's an interesting one where that intersection happens. But I, I think, you know, it's definitely, it doesn't make the story any less valid to tell. Yeah. I think it just means we have to question mm. a lot about this story. And we should always question. We should always yeah. question our yeah. historical sources. Yeah. And I feel like... For the most part, we try very yeah. hard to do that. Um, and this one I think is just really interesting because it somehow just made its way into absolute, mm. you know, verifiable yeah. facts. Well, I will do some investigating while I'm there and I will report back in the new year and we'll see, yeah, whether this myth continues to live on in Potosi itself. I'm on the edge of my seat tonight. <laughs> I very, very much want to know. I'd love you to prove me wrong. <laughs> I'd we'll love see. it. We'll see. Yeah. And so, Lauren, mm. now that now that you've been and gone. We're on the other side. Tell us, what did you discover? Uh, I didn't discover very much at all, by which I mean everybody that I asked about this had no idea what I was talking about. Ha <laughs> ha! They're not real. I don't think so. Look, in Bolivia, it's actually really cool. In the city called Sucre, which is a really beautiful city, like a lot of the buildings are all in white because that's just the local stone that was nearby. It's also called the White City because it had a, a large Spanish population. But anyway, um, they have these amazing murals on the walls, like kind of information-y, sort of murally plaque type things. And they had a whole bunch of women, a whole bunch. They had a few. They had some women on these. <laughs> like the uh, way that they like slowly declined. Who were historically significant to um, the city of Sucre or to Bolivia in general. None of them pe- uh, featured the valiant ladies of Potosi. Yeah. However, there were some other figures that I uh, have since brought into my list of Divian, future Divian women to cover. Uh, when I was in Potosi itself, there was literally nothing about them i asked like a bunch of my different like various tour guides and stuff one of my like my main tour guide he was he just sort of like looked at me he was like oh no i don't i think that's a legend like i've never heard of that story before. oh right and yeah he's been like 10 years he's been working as a guide in bolivia so yeah. like he's his job to know yeah see this is the, the history this is exactly the question yeah. like why is there this particular mm. sort of desire to pluck this story yeah out of thin air and want to make it a reality. Yeah. And Pot- Potosi has such a rich 
and really dark history. And we yeah. did touch on this in the episode, but I went into the mines there and saw, I guess, the conditions that the miners and things still live in. And, and I mean, over the 500 years that those mines have been operating, some 4 million people have died in them Mm. it was the I can't even remember if you touched on this in the episode but like the Spanish population that lived there were actually really small there was probably no more than about a thousand Spanish people living in the city at any one time they all lived in the center they were wealthy and Mm. they were uh they were all of the um the military and the bureaucrats and the officials right so they were the people who were just running the show nobody really lived there just to live there as a Spanish it wasn't a colonial city in the same way that a lot of other cities were colonized for the Spanish to actually live in yeah this city was a city of slaves it was you know there was a product that they were mining out yeah and so anyone who was there was just part of that trade 150,000 people lived in the city only like I said about a thousand Spanish Mm. and yeah they basically just enslaved the indigenous population or had them working in basically indentured slavery Mm. with that's really what the system was and they had African slaves as well Mm. so it was not yeah I just don't think it's the kind of I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I missed something. If anyone knows more about this, please let us know. If you happen to know whether there is any historical veracity to this, please let us know. But from what I saw and understood of the city when I was there, there was not really, there wouldn't have even really been the opportunity for a story like this to Mm. have happened. Like Mm. it just didn't have the type of Spanish population that was there was not really conducive to this kind of story. Yeah. Well, I am so pleased that uh, you have come back with uh, an answer that I was Mm. hoping you would come back with because I felt very strongly (laughs) that it would all be uh, fiction. And so I reckon we can, if we had two stamps available to us right Mm. now. Like Mythbusters. Like Mythbusters. Mm. We would definitively be busting that myth. Yeah. Well, it is myth, I guess, is. is the point. Yeah. Probably. Well, like, but who's let's myth? give it like a but who's 95%. Myth, it's not really, though, is it? Because mm. it's not a myth to the yeah, people. Yeah, you're right. It's Potosi. not a Bolivian myth. Yeah. They so had no idea what, what I was talking about. Yeah. So it's not even really a myth. Yeah. It's just a, a weird anomaly of history that sprung up sometime in the last 20 years. Yeah. So thank you very much for, <laughs> uh, thank you very much for the extra research you did on that one, Lauren. I uh, thoroughly appreciate it and I hope... That uh, everybody out there listening um, enjoyed a little bit of um, perhaps slightly looser. I don't know. We're pretty loose anyway. Yeah. But maybe even, <laughs> even looser yeah. approach to our Patreon content. Yeah. It's particularly loose because we tend to record after we've recorded something else and we're very tired and <laughs> or have had a few drinks. <laughs> so uh, maybe that's whet your appetite for more. I don't know. But if it has, of course, you can mm. subscribe to us on Patreon for as little as $2 a month. And there's lots more of this kind of content. You where... probably spend more money than that on coffee every single day of your life. Yeah, true. Like you. Twice not, as much. Like not just you, Lauren, but like you, person listening right mm. now. Yeah, right. Unless you don't drink coffee. But maybe you spend that on delicious donuts. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but look, hey, as little as $2 a month. Yeah, right. Cool. Well, we will be back properly launching season four very soon. February 27. That's not very far away. It's only two weeks away. Oh, my God. For us recording this now. Shit. We better get onto that. Yeah. And we look forward (laughs) to seeing you back here again when we officially launch season four, Deviant Women. Woo!